Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello there. I'm glad to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got a wondrous item. Indeed, if you'll take a look over here on the shelf, we have a display of vintage, if not antique dolls. If you'll take a look at uh, this one over here in particular. This doll is circa the early 1960s, and while it's seen its share of wear and tear, over the decades, and the wear of the gears have long since made this doll's usefulness expired. Once upon a time, if you pulled the string, this doll might have even moved and talked. Certainly a marvel of technology for its time. But what if this doll could move and talk without the use of a pulled string? What if today's technology were to be applied to such a toy? What might it say? What might it do? And it's that question that makes the potential for horror grow exponentially. And therein lies the subject of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, Megan. So Megan's one of those films that we've been seeing trailers for, for for quite a long time. And I've really been looking forward to this because I... I'm like just about anyone else. There are very few things creepier than creepy dolls. And I have been, I, I won't say I've been afraid of dolls since I was a child, but I've always had a little bit of apprehension when it came to dolls. Uh, whenever I would uh, walk past my sister's room and see her collection of dolls sitting there looking at me, I always kept the corner of my eye trained on them as I walked past for fear that maybe one of these dolls uh, might turn their head or, God forbid, get up and start chasing me down the hall. And even to this day, <laughs> you see a bunch of dolls sitting around, uh, you just wonder if there's anything going on in there, uh, what passes for a mind, and what might they be plotting. So, creepy dolls, uh, they still have that sort of effect on me, which made me anticipate this movie uh, even more. So, I was really excited about this movie, Megan. The trailers seem like uh, it, this could be really creepy. I was afraid that it might lean a little more into horror comedy than it actually did. I'll, I'll just throw this out here right now. Uh, there are going to be spoilers to this. So if you haven't seen Megan and you don't want anything spoiled, uh, as much as I'd love for you to listen to this, uh, you might not want to. At least not right now. I encourage you to go watch the movie Megan. Check it out. It's in theaters right now. And then after you've seen it, come back and listen and hear my thoughts on it and see if you know we're, we're kind of on the same wavelength. If not, if you don't care about spoilers and you're like, eh, I'm probably not going to watch it anyway, uh, you might want to listen to this and it may change your mind or it may solidify the fact that you didn't want to watch it in the first place. But if you don't mind spoilers, please feel free to continue with me. If you don't want anything spoiled for you, go watch the movie first, then come back and listen to this podcast. But right off the bat, I was really afraid this might lean into horror comedy because uh, director Gerard Johnson has a history. His his last film, Housebound, was a horror comedy. So I was a little afraid of that. And I, I saw some articles. I think Entertainment Weekly put out an article talking about this being a horror comedy that leaned more into comedy than horror. And I didn't find that to be the case at all. And this is one of those movies I talked my wife into going to see it with me. She is not... She's not a horror fan. I mean, I, she has watched horror movies over the years, and it's not that she doesn't like horror movies. She's just afraid of the things that go bump in the night, and uh, the more realistic a movie could be, the more she is inclined to not want to watch it because... Uh, you know, she's got she's to gotta go out and take the dog out in the middle of the night uh, at her mom's place. So, so she's a little, little leery about watching things that might stir up those uh, what-ifs, so what's lurking in the shadows sort of feelings. So 
she thought she would want to watch this. So we went to the movie theater yesterday and, and watched this movie. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday, so that would have been Saturday. And she agreed with me. Uh, she reads Entertainment Weekly quite a lot as well. And she found that this didn't lean comedy at all. It had some chuckle moments it had some oh that's that's kind of funny but nothing that ever made me laugh out loud there was bits of irony and there were bits of oh <laughs> i see what they did there sort of moments but nothing that ever made the, like the audience laugh or anything like that so if anybody tells you this is a horror comedy it's not it, it's a straight up horror film uh to the lengths with which they went horror with this that's debatable and we'll we'll kind of discuss that as we talk about this movie, but uh, if you hear horror comedy and you're like me, you're just, I, I'm so tired of, of horror comedies right now. It's like, we can't make a scary movie. So we'll make a, a horror comedy and make it funny and elicit some reaction that way. I'm like, just, just make a freaking scary movie. That's all I want. It's all I want with my horror. Horror comedy is fine from time to time, but Jesus, it's like every other movie is a horror comedy. This was not one of those. That's that's what I'm trying to get across here. So we're going to dive right into talking about this movie. So the plot of this movie is essentially this young girl, Katie, is, is going on a ski trip vacation with her mom and dad, and there's an accident and her parents die, and she goes to live with her aunt, Gemma. And Gemma, played by Allison Williams, is a roboticist, I believe is what you, I think that's the title of her job, but she creates robots and, and she's working on these uh, robotic toys for kids that interface with the internet and their iPad and that sort of thing. A lot of toys that are technologically advanced that, you know, are, are commonplace for kids these days. But she takes in her niece, Katie, and Gemma's finding that she's in a bit over her head because she's very career oriented. Uh, she doesn't have have a love interest in her life she doesn't have kids or anything like that she is work 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 and she's finding that she's ill-equipped to take care of her young niece who is dealing with the trauma of losing her parents so she kind of fast tracks this project she's been working on in a way to to help her with her niece and she has created this robot this android called megan which stands for Model 3 Generative Android. And Megan's primary function is to uh, protect Katie from being hurt, whether it be physical harm or emotional harm. And Megan essentially starts taking her job uh, a little too serious. But I think that is a really a great jumping off point for this movie because this movie really had a feel like a, a mix of that 80s TV series Small Wonder with the with the little girl robot. Uh, Small Wonder meets that Twilight Zone episode, The Living Doll meets The Bad Seed. And, 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 and all those things kind of intermingled together. And we'll kind of talk about why I say that as we, we talk about these characters and, and we talk about this movie through the lens of the characters. And it's, it's really, for the most part, this is a very simple plot. Uh, there aren't a lot of twists and turns in that. And at, at first I was like, I, I really wish there were some big twists or some reveal, but I don't think you needed that. Um, I, it, it's a fairly straightforward film. And it is a fairly small cast. I mean, your main cast is Allison Williams as Gemma, uh, Violet McGraw as Katie, the Megan character, which we'll kind of get into the nuts and bolts, uh, pun intended, on that a little later. Uh, there's a couple of, of Gemma's... Uh, co-workers that we meet but they're really i can't even say b characters because they're not i mean it's it's they're it's almost like a tertiary role for them there is Gemma's boss and his assistant and then a troublemaking next door neighbor and like a lot of background characters but for the most part this is about Gemma, katie and megan so we'll talk about the Gemma character and Allison williams who plays Gemma. uh Gemma is and i i kind of really Gave you a basic overview. She is a, a workaholic. She is a roboticist. Uh, she's all about her job. 
not taking time. You know, I like how she comes home the one day uh, at the beginning of the movie when she finds out that her her sister and her brother-in-law have been killed and that she has to take care of her niece. Uh, she, she walks in the door and she has one of those, I can't remember what they call it at the time or if it's even a real thing, but it's almost kind of like a an Alexa or a Siri, but she walks in and this robotic voice tells her that she has five tinder messages so she's you know she's thought about the dating pool but she's not dating anyone she's kind of a loner because she is so focused on her work and what she is doing and she's very much that single person that likes everything in their place she has old collectible toys that she keeps on the shelf that you don't play with these toys they're collectible therefore looking at and you can't even look at them because they're still in the box because god forbid uh they might be worth something one day but uh but she's very regimented in her life and to have her niece come live with her is kind of an upheaval of that she not only has to uh, take care of this other human being, but this other human being is now invading her space, uh, kind of her fortress of solitude where she has everything in its place and now everything is disrupted. So there's almost a, maybe not a resentment because she loves her niece. She feels for her niece. She just doesn't know how to cope with uh, dealing with anybody but herself because she has been so focused on herself and her work for so long that she hasn't uh, taken the time to let anybody else in to allow them to affect her or allow herself to affect them. And and I think that is really kind of where the the whole conflict begins is because she doesn't, she's out of her element. She's out of her depths and she doesn't know how to take care of her niece. So she's trying to come up with a way to, to take care of her niece. The only way she knows how, and that's through robotics, that's through artificial intelligence, that's through technology. And that is kind of a running theme of this movie that we'll kind of get into a little bit later, but we'll definitely discuss that, the, the theme of technology kind of being a de facto babysitter and, and caretaker for for kids these days but i really liked allison williams performance in this i mean if you if you're not familiar with her by name of course if you watch get out she played the rose character in that she's done a couple movies since then she's done a, a little bit of tv since then as well but I, I thought she did a really good job i liked her in get out and i, I really liked her in this because you got that that bit of sympathy you you feel for this this woman who has lost her sister and her brother-in-law and now has this niece that she has to take care of you you feel sympathy for her, but then you also get the almost quasi resentment you you sometimes wonder if she resents the fact that she has to take care of her niece she loves her niece but she uh she's almost doing this out of a duty to her sister and you kind of get that feel from her. And then as she kind of, uh, her character develops into somebody that that is capable of taking care of her niece and, and, and realize that she does want to take care of her niece. She does want to be there for her emotionally like her niece needs. Uh, it, it was a really interesting uh, character development for her. And I thought Allison Williams really played that development well because you got that bit of annoyance in the fact that she's got, you know, I I've got to go to work and do this. I can't stay here and, and sit with you all day. Are you going to be okay? And, and the annoyance of her uh, niece be wanting to play with her collectible toys that are up on a shelf. And then the uh, oh, oh, yeah, okay, that's fine. You you can play with it sort of thing. Knowing that she doesn't want her to. I've been there. I've been that guy that has a bunch of uh, box toys on the shelf and nobody can touch them because uh, they might be worth money someday and nephews and nieces coming over and that's all they want to do is play with your collectible toys. Uh, I finally got over that and and like, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, uh, I'd rather spend time with my nieces and nephews, uh, having fun, playing with toys, playing the with the toys that I loved growing up. Uh, I'd rather do that than have something sitting on the shelf that might be worth 50 bucks one day. Uh, that's a no-brainer. It became a no-brainer after a while. That's what you see in Gemma, and I think that's what I uh, saw of myself in this Gemma character as well. Now, the niece, Katie, is played by Violet McGraw, and Violet McGraw has been 
She's done quite a few things over the years. I mean, she was in Doctor Sleep. She played Violet in that. Um, she was in Black Widow. She played a young Yelena Belova, the younger version of the Florence Pugh character in Black Widow. She played a younger version of the character Nell from The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. So she's done quite a few things. And I, I really enjoyed her as a younger actress because I, I feel she's got a lot of good range for her age. You know, you, you felt the sorrow and the depression and the I, I've lost my whole world. My mom and dad are gone. And that quiet withdrawal from, from the rest of the world, you got that. Uh, you got the anger and rage about uh, what has happened to her later on. I mean, it's triggered by other things, but you have to understand that uh, the, the rage is coming from, from what she's lost. And that feeling of loss she gets again when, when Megan is being taken away from her, essentially. She's feeling that loss of something she loves again. So it, it is rage about the fact that Gemma is taking Megan away from her. But it's even on a bigger scale, I think, rage about uh, that feeling of loss that she had when her parents were taken away from her. But Violet McGraw really plays that as well. The, the utter joy that you see open up in her when she starts interacting with the Megan android is something special because you just, you, you see this child that is, that is going through this trauma uh, and is just withdrawing from, from her aunt, from society in general. And you see her start to open up. You see that little spark of, of joy turn into a raging fire. And, and like I said, uh, Violet McGraw did a, a fantastic job with all the range of emotion that she had to, to portray in this. And, and she really does a good job. You know, she does that. She plays that, that sweet, innocent child, uh, like she is, but then, you know, like I said, when it goes into more rage and more anger, uh, you can see she can go into those darker places. So as an as a young actress, I think Violet McGraw did a fantastic job with this role and, and does a fantastic job in general. It's one of those uh, young child actors that you're really interested to see how they develop as an actor over over however many years they decide to be in in film and television. But, uh, but I think she's got a bright future ahead of her. So I was really, really happy with her. I really liked her as this, this Katie character. I thought she brought a lot to the role that, uh, that you really need. You know, child actors, uh, you know, kids and pets, they always say, are, are some of the toughest things uh, to work with in, in film and television. And I don't know how she is as a child, probably a very, uh, you know, regular precocious child, but as an actress, uh, she really brings a lot to to this role and, and to this production, which I don't think, you know, you couldn't just get any kid actor to come in and, and do what she did. Now, I would talk about the Megan character right now, but I, I think I'm going to save it uh, because, uh, well, well, we'll talk about the Megan character. We'll talk about how they brought this character to life. Uh, a little bit later and who played the various parts of Megan. Uh, we'll talk about that. But Megan as a as a character is very interesting because, you know, she's this android and she is brought in as this kind of surrogate sister, surrogate nanny, surrogate caretaker for Katie because Gemma just doesn't know how to to take care of her niece. She's never had to take care of anyone but herself. So now she's thrust into the situation where she has to take care of her niece and she just doesn't know what to do. And so it's a lot easier for her to create this artificial intelligence android, which she had been working on prior, but she's using it as, as a way to help take care of her niece in ways that she can't. So this, this, Android is there for her emotionally. She's there as a companion, as a friend to, to play with. Uh, they keep secrets. They dance. They they draw and they do all these things. And she's smart, so she can help with Katie's homeschooling. And it's just like I said, in a way, this is a way for Gemma to uh, absolve herself of the responsibility of being the de facto parent in this relationship between her and her niece. And now she's put all of this on the android. And then, of course, once they show the android to her boss 
and and the company she works for, they're all over it and want to mass produce this thing and make this the must-have toy for any child, uh, even though the price tag would probably uh, preclude most children from, from owning it. They want to make this into the next big thing. But we see that the, the Megan character, the Megan android, is always learning and always developing. It's artificial intelligence, so it's always growing, always trying to learn more, always pushing the boundaries, trying to redefine its prime objective, which is to take care of Katie uh, physically and emotionally, uh, protect her physically and emotionally, I should say. And she almost learns that to do that, she has to break the rules of of her creator Gemma so it, it gets to the point where Gemma's slowly losing control of Megan who in a way feels like Gemma is is as much a threat to Katie as as anyone so she stops listening to her when when Gemma tries to power her down she will not power down and protecting Katie becomes the most important thing to the point where she will do anything to protect Katie, even if that involves uh, murderous intent. And that's where I, I found a lot of the interesting parallels to some of those other shows uh, that, I, that I talked about. You know, you had the, the small girl robot from Small Wonder who's who's there to, to take care of the kids and things like that. Uh, you had the living doll, which is, uh, you know, this doll that comes to life to protect the the little girl from her abusive stepfather but she's so protective that even at the end she's threatening the mother to stay in line or she'll she'll do her in as well and then you have the bad seed where you have this this little girl who looks all prim and proper but she will she will go to murderous ends to get what she wants and and even the look of the Megan character just the dress with that big puffy bow around her neck looked felt very much like like the little girl from Bad Seed, uh, where like she's just in you know these frilly, puffy dresses, but she is going to kill somebody <laughs> because they won't give her what she wants. And and as much as Small Wonder wasn't a disturbing show, the other two are very disturbing pictures of of a small child's toy and a small child as well. This movie really felt like it drew from, from the things that were disturbing about those. So those are the characters. And I, I liked how they did this because it wasn't necessarily a slow burn, but very much through that first act of the movie, you are just meeting Gemma. You're meeting Katie. You're getting to understand their relationship when the Megan android is brought into the mix we spend a lot of time seeing the bond develop between katie and megan we get to see them when they first meet and katie's just kind of shy and reserved but then when she starts to interact with megan uh the awe and wonder and then the the joy of having somebody that that looks her age even if it is an android that that she can talk to and she can confide in and that will take an interest in her where her aunt really doesn't feel like she's taken an interest because she's just overwhelmed by the whole situation but megan does take an interest in katie and i think katie responds to that and and attaches to that and they even talk about uh how you know after a child loses parents that they will attach to the first thing that that really kind of uh shows interest in them and and become very attached to them and, and we see this attachment and i think you really needed that in the first act you didn't really need any anything sinister to go on you needed to to see this bond and see this attachment between katie and megan and then through the second act that's really where you kind of start to see the cracks in the pavement where uh, Megan is, you know, just gives little looks to Gemma when Gemma is trying to uh, reprimand 
Katie. And at first, Megan seems like a a mom, almost a mom to, to Katie. She's telling her to wash her hands and, and flush the toilet. She's telling her to use a coaster. Then once she starts to see Gemma doing the same thing, she kind of pulls back from that. Megan pulls back from that and starts to look at Gemma as almost a threat as well. And then we start seeing how she deals with other threats the next door neighbor lady and her dog were two scenes you saw coming. You knew both of these characters were going to meet their end uh, at the hand of Megan. Uh, the kid at the little special outdoor fun time school that Gemma took Katie to. Uh, there's this bully and you see that in the trailer where this bigger boy is bullying Katie and Megan has that line, this is where you're supposed to run. And then she starts running after this boy, like on all fours. It's probably one of the creepier things in the movie. I don't know what it is about people who should be walking upright, running on all fours. I don't know what it is about that that creeps me out, but it, it was very creepy. The scene where Gemma kills the next door neighbor's dog was, it was suspenseful. It, it wasn't as creepy as I thought it would be. And where she kills the next door neighbor lady. That was actually pretty creepy. Luring her into that shed. And her coming out of the darkness was was kind of bizarre and, and creepy. And, and the way she killed the neighbor lady was gruesome without being gruesome. That was the thing about this movie. This movie was a PG-13. So you didn't get a lot of gore. You got a lot of suspense. And we'll kind of talk about the atmosphere a little bit later. But you didn't get a ton of gore in this. Which... I'm kind of on the fence about whether I thought it needed it or not. I don't, I mean, they wanted to keep this a PG 13 rating so teens could come and see this. And I don't think you need horror to be an R. There's a lot of really good PG 13 rated horror films out there. Drag Me to Hell, The Visit, uh, A Quiet Place. So that there are a lot of good. Uh, PG-13 horror films out there. So you didn't need a bunch of F-bombs. That's That was how I knew that this was PG-13 because they had one non-sexual fuck in it. I was like, oh, this is going to be PG-13. We haven't heard that word until now and we probably won't hear it again. Uh, we're not going to get a lot of gore. Of course, I knew it was PG-13 going in, but that, I think, kind of <laughs> sealed the deal. But yeah, you, I, I don't know if you needed gore. I, there were times where I thought maybe some a little more gore would have helped, but you don't need gore to be a horror film. And and I'm I, I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm on the fence about this because I know there're gonna be a lot of people that say oh it's not horror it's a thriller or what have you because there's not a lot of gore in it I mean to some people gore equals horror I don't think that's the case but there were times where I wish it did show a little more than it actually did but cutting away from the gore did leave a lot to the imagination which I think is 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 an interesting choice as a director. To, to leave it for the viewer's mind to wonder uh, how that played out. Sometimes I want to see it. Sometimes I don't need to see it. Sometimes I wish I could see it, but I'm okay that I didn't. I think this is one of those where I, I wish I could have seen what happened to some of these characters, but I don't think that I needed to. Granted, I could change my mind in a month from now. But yeah, I was I was intrigued by the the next door neighbor lady and her dog there, and the bully got the Gage Creed treatment as as Megan chased him out onto the highway. There were a couple other characters, Gemma's two assistants or her co-workers. That scene was really kind of creepy at first. Uh, they've got Megan suspended. They've got her all plugged in. But they find out she's still connected to the internet because she's still connected to the cords. So the guy goes up and is unplugging her. She's sitting there suspended in this kind of contraption. And she comes to life and attacks him. And and you think she's going to blow the place up. But it's a very small explosion. It just knocks the two characters back. So they live. I kind of wish those characters would have died just because, you know, it would have just lent a little more credence to this killer robot if the body count's a little higher. I know these two surviving are 
the reason why the cops show up at the end, but the cops showing up at the end and the ambulance showing up at the end had no bearing on the ending of the story. So it really wasn't even needed. Uh, those two characters didn't need to survive. Even for a potential sequel, I don't think those characters needed to survive. And we'll talk about that coming up a little bit later too. But I did like the scene where, you know, that, that anticipation of this guy is going and hooking these things all from the back of Megan. And then he comes around to the front to hook unhook that one from the back of her head i don't know why he had to go around the front of her but it made her it made it easier for her to start strangling him and hang him from this contraption with all these wires and pulleys but it really did set up a lot of tension and that's one of the things that this movie hinged on was the building of tension and the building of suspense and then some of the scarier scenes uh had to be kind of at the end when you get that final showdown between Gemma and megan Gemma walking around a dark house and then all of a sudden hearing piano playing and it really dug the final showdown between Megan and Gemma because it, it felt legit Megan is an android she's strong but she's not super strong not strong enough to where Gemma can't put up a decent fight uh, but she's still, she's overmatched by this android. And I liked how, I mean, you saw it coming a while away. Early in the movie, Gemma, when she gets the idea of making Megan to help out with her niece, before she gets this idea, she shows Katie this prototype of uh, a robot she built when she was in college, I believe. And it had these two gloves that you can use to manipulate the, the robot's arms and, and make it walk and, and do all these things. And I, I honestly, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, that's how they're going to fight Megan at the end. I thought it was going to be Gemma. I thought it was going to be aunt, the ant doing that. But I, I really dug how they, they switched it up. It was probably the only real surprise, if you will. It wasn't that surprising, but I, I was surprised that it was... Katie and not Gemma who dons these gloves and uses this robot that that Gemma built when she was in college to fight Megan and I like that scene that that was fun it was a, it was a good robot on robot scene uh watching this big bigger less technologically advanced robot ripping Megan in half and of course like any good living doll movie she's not done just yet and katie saving Gemma's life by stabbing this robot in its for lack of a better term its cpu if you will with a with a screwdriver was you know it's it, that's what you would expect from a crazy killer android movie so it wasn't reinventing the wheel but it was satisfying and then as katie and Gemma walk out of the house to the oncoming police and emergency rescue people uh, you see this little it almost looks like a little mushroom. It is the device that is Gemma's Alexa or Siri, her virtual assistant in the home that she can have turn on the lights or check her messages for her. You see it light up as they walk by and then turn to look at Gemma and Katie as they walk out. And you're almost wondering, is Megan's consciousness, is her artificial intelligence somehow in this now and what will it take for it to get back out into something else to exact her revenge or whatever uh, the case may be and we'll we'll talk about that as we talk about kind of the future of this and a possible sequel but uh for the most part uh i really enjoyed this was it as scary as i wanted it to be um no but like i said it, it built a lot on tension and suspense and what it did there uh, was really good what it built on the creepy factor you know dolls living dolls are creepy dolls are creepy in general and then when you start making them do weird back bendy things and that fake face that plastic face uh, making certain movements and looks and dancing just out of nowhere creepily and then when it's kind of on the fritz and it's doing this herky-jerky movement it's just it really excelled at the creepiness of what dolls bring to the table in horror movies uh, they they set out to make a creepy doll movie and and i think they succeeded in that now the one thing i found really interesting is how they brought the megan character to life because they use a lot of different things uh, a 
lot of different technologies. I mean, they use some puppetry, they use some animatronics, but they also used a, a live person and a lot of digital enhancement. And, and I got to give a tip of the hat to the two uh, young actresses who brought Megan to life. You had Amy Donald, who is a young actress in New Zealand, and they brought her in because they filmed this all in New Zealand. Uh, that's where uh, Gerard Johnston's from. Uh, so they filmed in New Zealand and Amy Donald is a New Zealand actress and she did the physical performance for Megan. She was the one in the, the dress and the, the tights and doing all the movements and and. For the most part, I mean, I know they did some animatronic stuff as well, but uh, for the most part, she did uh, the lion's share of a lot of the movement for Megan. And they, they brought in uh, movement coaches to help her come across a little more robotic. And, and I thought she did a fantastic job for being a young girl. Uh, I'm not sure how old she exactly is, but she's about that height. So she got to imagine she's probably right around the same age as Violet McGraw. But she just did, from a movement standpoint, is... Uh, just did fantastic with bringing Megan to life and and a lot of those creepy movements and things were were all her doing this this robotic move and these these head tilts and and things like that that just brought a lot of the creepiness and the the realism. I mean, you really felt like this was an android. You felt like this was this doll come to life in this movie. And gotta give a, a huge shout out to Amy Donald for for doing that, bringing the physical performance of Megan to life. Fantastic job. Now the voice, now uh, on set it was Amy McDonald doing the voice for Megan as they're acting and and doing these scenes, but they overdubbed the voice with uh, a young American actress, uh, Jenna Davis, who does the voice of Megan, and she really did a fantastic job with that. She's a an actress and a, a singer, and she did get to show off some of her singing chops in this, which was again it it almost added to the creepiness of this character. Uh, just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, starting to sing. Uh, you know, it it all seems logical when you're watching The Sound of Music or some other musical, but when you're looking at real life or what is supposed to be a representation of real life that's not a musical and somebody just starts singing out of nowhere, uh, even if it's not a, a living doll, uh, that's creepy. Just people that start singing out of nowhere creep me out. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Uh, but uh, unprompted and you just start belting out some song, I'm like, what the... What the F's the matter with you? Are, are you okay? Uh, but at any rate, uh, she did the voice. She brought a lot of that quality that you get from voiced dolls and voiced toys. She really had that kind of vibe about her her vocal performance and the, the singing. She's a wonderful singer. Don't get me wrong. Just because a character singing out of nowhere doesn't mean it wasn't a good job. She did a fantastic job with the singing. Beautiful voice. And I just loved the the vocal performance she gave because you got the the love and the care, but you also got the sinister and the the malice that she starts to feel later on when when people are threatening Katie in in various ways, and she goes to exact her her justice on them. You get some of that malice and that sinister nature in the vocal performance as well. The fact that they brought this whole Megan character to life in so many different facets. Like I said, the animatronics, the puppetry, uh, the physical performance from Amy Donald, the vocal performance from Jenna Davis. They even uh, used a lot of digital enhancements, uh, making the skin smooth and the eyes uh, much bigger. I don't know if they used some sort of mask or if they did that to Amy Donald's face, uh, but they did a lot of digital enhancement with New Zealand's own Weta effects who did a ton of work and, and really came to life uh, with Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. But uh, just all the elements that brought Megan to life really is kind of what makes this movie special because so much of it was done physically. I mean, they could have easily just done some shitty CG robot and it probably would have been cheaper, probably would have been easier but they took the care. You know, you've got producers like Jason Blum and James Wan. And you have a, a director, director like Gerard Johnston uh, who 
who care about this story and really wanted to put it to life. From what I understand, Jason Blum asked Gerard Johnstone to do several projects, but he kept getting turned down. And it wasn't until this one came along that uh, Johnstone said, okay, this is the one I want to do. And so he, he really had a love for this script and this story. And the producers had a love for this story. And they really went to great pains to, to do this right. And, and for me, doing so much of the, the special effects uh, physically, maybe with some digital enhancement, but for the most part physically, I, I think that to me shows that you care about what you're doing. You're not just looking for the cheapest and easiest way. But not only bringing Megan to life uh, physically through the performance and through the animatronics and the puppetry, uh, just the look of, of Megan was, was fantastic because she had that kind of old school 60s 70s that old school look about her that classic look of style and fashion that big bow neck thing the short sleeve dress with the the long sleeves underneath the tights under the dress it just had a very classic 60s 70s look about her i guess is probably where where i think it fits in the best that you saw a lot in the 60s 70s and like i said even on in through the early 80s but she just had that classic look and that look that really reminded me of of the character in the bad seed you know that prim and proper girl that's supposed to be the all-american girl but uh, but there's a dark side underneath and I, I thought the costuming for megan was was such a wonderful wonderfully inspired choice because it just it harkened back to another time it harkened back to to some of those those older creepy killer dolls and creepy killer kid movies and, and TVs episodes from, from back in the day. And the Megan costume in this movie, it really pulled out some of those creepy killer characters that that I think this, this movie needed, uh, at least the older audience who remembers stuff like that. It really needed to to really put that muscle memory into effect. So you're you're making that connection between some of those old uh, creepy killers and, and this new creepy killer that we've got on our hands. And then, of course, we kind of hit on it a little bit earlier, but the, the theme of this movie was, I think, a really good theme because it really is all about... Uh, parents and adults who use technology as a surrogate babysitter or nanny or nursemaid or uh, surrogate caretaker for their child. You know, it's it started a long time ago, just plopping a kid down in front of a TV and throwing a VHS cassette in and letting them watch you know, Land Before Time on repeat ad nauseum. It's been around probably even longer than that. But as technology's advanced, we have become a society where we just, you know, give your kids a tablet and let them surf the internet or, or play games and call it educational. But, you know, that way we don't really have to deal with the kids. And that is a huge theme in this is uh, not really being invested in your kid's life and letting technology take care of them, let technology occupy their mind so they're out from under your feet. I think that's a, a huge detriment to, to any generation, but especially the younger generation where kids are inundated with technology, whether it's cell phones, whether it's iPads, whether it's video game systems, uh, social media, TikTok and Instagram and all of that. They're just bombarded with technology and, and a lot of it is technology that keeps them linked with people, but keeps them connected with people on a non-physical level. And you don't really get that physical interaction. People don't know how to, and especially kids, uh, a lot of kids, uh, don't know how to interact with people on a, a real human one-on-one -on -one level. And I think it's parents' jobs, it's parents' responsibilities to teach their kids that, to make sure that they're around other kids, to make sure that they're invested and involved in their kid's life. Uh, so, you know, it's not, they're not letting whoever's willing to listen and whoever's willing to give advice to their kids. Uh, you're not letting, you know, people you don't know raise your kids. You're raising your kids. You're responsible for your kids and how they turn out. And if you don't want them to turn out bad, you got to be involved and you've got to make sure that, that 
you're teaching them the lessons, the, the good lessons that you want them to have. You're teaching them the good values that you want them to have. You're teaching them the good morals that you want them to have uh, to become good and upright and, and moral people. That's not, you know, I'm not speaking on like a fundamentalist level. I'm just talking about, you know, you want your kids to do what's right. You got to teach them what's right. And you can't do that while you're off doing God knows what and letting them sit there on on the computer or their phone all day long and having no physical interaction, physical conversations with them. You're not investing in them emotionally or socially. I hate to get on a soapbox. I'm, I'm not trying to because I have no kids and and I, I would like to think I would uh, do the right thing as a parent. But, but that really is the theme of this movie is being invested in your kid's life. Gerard Johnson said that uh, this film is about people who don't spend enough time with their children. And I think that is the probably the most important theme of this because if you're not raising your kids somebody else is and you don't really know who who they are who knows they might be a killer robot so ultimately like i said i, I really liked this movie it wasn't my favorite movie I, i've heard people saying oh this is the best movie of the year so far uh this may be too early but this is the best movie of 2023 i, I don't know if i'd go that far this was a really good movie it really did dive into a lot of atmosphere it, i think it was beautifully shot uh, they did a, a good job with the cinematography from Pete Caffrey. A lot of low light scenes that that were lit just right to to add an air of creepiness. They played a lot with dark and and shadow, which which I really loved. The screenplay from Michaela Cooper was really good. I thought the story uh, was excellent. I thought, of course, James Wan and Michaela Cooper came up with the story. Uh, I thought the the script was well well done. Uh, I thought the dialogue was really good. I thought the story was solid. Like I said, there were no twists and turns. There were no big reveals or anything like that. Other than I thought it was going to be Gemma with the uh, robot Bruce that was fighting Megan at the end. And it turned out to be uh, Katie. Uh, a little bit of a surprise for me, but maybe it shouldn't have been that big of a surprise. It was between one of those two. So I had a 50-50 shot in guessing who it might be. But... Uh, while it lacked in twists and turns, and it lacked in like huge horror. I mean, this wasn't a huge horror film as far as uh, the the levels of horror you got. You did get horror. You got suspense. You got creepy moments. You got murders. There wasn't a ton of gore. Uh, a little bit of blood, but not a lot of gore. It, it probably wasn't the most horrific horror film, but was still a really solid horror film. And a horror film I wouldn't mind going back and watching. And I think that says a lot because there are a lot of horror films. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good, uh, but I don't care if I ever watch it again. This is a movie that I, I would probably go back and watch again because I did enjoy it enough to where I might give it a second or maybe even a third glance because because I enjoyed the the acting. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the effects that much. I enjoyed the, like I said, the cinematography and the look and the atmosphere and the feel of this all had the great hallmarks of a horror film. Like I said, I don't think this was a great horror film, but I thought this was a pretty good horror film, if not a really good horror film. And I'll be interested to see what they do in the future with this. Uh, word on the street is that it has been greenlit. They are they are going to do a sequel. Now, I read in some, some articles and some interviews that Gerard Johnstone isn't going to jump right into making a sequel to Megan. He's going to give it a little while. Probably they'll work on a story and I think give it the care that they gave this and not rush it uh, so they can do it right. But I have to imagine it's going to play all into that last scene where maybe Megan's consciousness is is downloaded into this this unit in, in Gemma's house. Uh, there is a, a tertiary character, the assistant to Gemma's boss, who we see downloading and stealing all the Megan files. And you have to imagine he's he's kind of like one of those abused employees uh, that's not respected or not given a second glance. 
that he will probably sell this to a competitor. And while Gemma's company isn't going to go on with making the Megan Android, another company might, and we might see Megan downloaded into this new doll. Uh, there's a lot of ways they could go with this. Uh, again, much like this movie, everything was pretty predictable as to what was going to happen, but they did it well, and it was still enjoyable and engaging. So even though I knew essentially what was going to happen, I still enjoyed it. I think we know what's going to happen in a sequel, uh, but I, I imagine I'll probably still enjoy it. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts, and that's my look at the new film, Megan, from director Gerard Johnstone and producers Jason Blum and James Wan. I thought this was a really solid horror effort to, to start off 2023. If it only gets better from here, I think we're going to have another really good year for, for horror. And even to a, a broader degree, fantasy and science fiction. I think all, all three of those genres really did well in 2022. And I'm looking for another big year in 2023 because we got a lot of a lot of good stuff coming out. Uh, coming up on Thursday show, we're going to be talking about the new Netflix Christian Bale movie, The Pale Blue Eye. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Willow is going to be wrapping up this week, so we're going to be talking about that next Monday, a week from this show airing, and I think a week from Thursday we're going to be talking about. Some of the movies I missed in 2022. Uh, there were some movies that I just never got around to watching until uh, this past week or so uh, that came out in 2022. I was like, oh, you know, I missed that. I didn't watch it. I really wanted to. So I've been watching some of those things. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the things I missed in 2022 that I think are are still worth a, a watch and maybe probably should have been on some of my best of lists uh, for 2022. But we'll talk about that next week. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Megan, a very cool, atmospheric, creepy horror film. Uh, not heavy on the horror, but but you get enough horror to really enjoy it if you are a horror fan, I think. Uh, there are going to be some people that aren't going to be happy with this, but uh, some of those people will never be happy with anything. Uh, unless it's exactly the one movie that they particularly like. So I want to thank everyone for checking out my thoughts on Megan. You can find out more on what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our fan page on Facebook, as well as Instagram. Of course, I'm always posting uh, trailers uh, to movies and series coming out. Always posting articles I find all over the internet about the horror fantasy and science fiction we love. And uh, add my two cents as well. Or at least I try to. So no matter where you listen to this podcast, please subscribe to it, follow it, like it, whatever you have to do. Please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Or just share it in general and and let God sort him out. Uh, and also leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever review you leave, we do appreciate it. And it helps immensely in getting the word out about this podcast. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!